0: That I'm on this like rinky dinky scooter that's kind of like a kid's toy, and I have to tap on and off and 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 tap on and off of this accelerator button. AFI. On and off. Backstage Stories. Hello, hello, welcome, welcome. We're gonna jump right into the show today. Uh, today Mo cannot be with me, so it'll be a solo episode. This is the 29th episode of RC Fartsy Immigrants, and I think that's quite fitting because this is my 29th year on planet Earth, and I'm a little bit nervous about turning 30. You know, I had this discussion not too long ago with my wife, and we discussed how um, you know, in America this idea of crossing 30 is a, a bigger concept than it is here, or maybe even in the rest of the world, which is a kind of a repeating quality I'm, I'm noticing now so many things being so different uh, only in America. But um, you know, this, uh, this idea of, of turning 30, I, you know, like here in Germany, they, of course they still do have these uh, big parties and they still celebrate it because it's a big turning point. Um, you know this this great comedian Patton Oswalt has um, a very funny bit about birthdays and how you know there's only X amount of birthdays that you can really have or that you're supposed to have, and he talks about all the birthdays that you have. I think he says you know um, until you're ten or so, every one of those years you you have a birthday. Um, because you're a kid and you're supposed to. And I I don't want to paraphrase his his whole joke, but basically it goes, you know, until I think you have 21. And then he's like, okay, and then only the tens, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. And then as you get older, you know, he, um, in the the joke, there's more rules that don't apply to you as you get older and the longer that you live. Um, The bit is really funny, but you know, this this concept of turning 30 or turning in the next uh, 10 is pretty big. Um, I mean, both my parents are about to turn 60. Well, one of them is closer than the other, but um, they're both getting pretty close to 60, I would say, uh, which is crazy for me to think about. I mean, I, I already have all this apprehension about turning 30. Um, and then, you know, also my parents-in-law, are um you know one of them just turned 60 this year and the other ones also not far behind um it's really funny how fast that goes i was just thinking um over the last week or so pretty often about my high school years i was like reliving some memories kind of daydreaming about them uh, being a teenager in, in the south and yeah i don't know i just i remember i was diving in kind of deep to you know, memory to memory without any sort of connection to them, no rhyme or reason why I was there. But then, yeah, I was just there. And then when I snapped out of it, I was just like, man, that was, that feels like so long ago. And then, you know, probably some people would say that it was a long time ago. And some people would say that it wasn't that long ago, really, because I'm only 29. But You know, the grass is always greener and it's all about perspective. Um, In my case, I feel like it was a long time ago. And I think it's insane that I'm about to turn 30 years old. Probably what's most crazy to me about turning 30 is I think I'm only now about to get um, a job in the industry that I wanted to work in. You know, like I've had day jobs since I was 15 years old. My first job was at this uh, gas station in Kossuth, Mississippi. I think I lived one mile down the road and the school was across the street. Um, So it was really, you know, convenient for me. (laughs) And I've had, yeah, I had that job. Then I worked at a deli. Then I worked at a furniture delivery and assembly warehouse. And of course, countless cafes and restaurants and stuff, you know, always in support of music, always in support of what I wanted to do. And, you know, probably I can attribute me being so late with some of these things, you know, towards, um, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a pretty bad procrastinator also. I think sometimes if I don't have the right motivation, um, you know, I, I don't know, I think it takes a particular a particular event or a particular person saying a particular thing to get the right motivation out of me in certain things. And I, I'm aware of that. And I'm, I'm not proud of that, but that's, that's, that's the real, that's the truth. And with some things I have a lot of motivation that is seemingly fueled endlessly. And this fiery desire is, is kind of there. And, you know, one of those things of course is with, with music and, um, I feel like I'm always looking for the next opportunity that I can get and I can work on a job with music or, you know, read emails about music or something at all hours of the night and on vacation. And that's also unhealthy and also something I probably shouldn't do. But it's, you know, if it's something that you love doing, then you you don't see it really as work. You just see it as like a way of progressing, getting to the next step. Um, but I had these day jobs you know, supporting music and supporting things I enjoy doing with film for 15 years. The best one, I guess the best job I've had to support that is the one that I am about to leave. This is my last week at this school job that I've talked about a few times. And I'll come back to, I want to talk about the school job and it being my last week. Um, but I'll come back to that later. And yeah. I think it's kind of crazy that for 15 years I've been doing something to support a job in a certain industry that I've wanted or, you know, making enough money from writing and recording my own music. And now finally, um, at 30, I'm, I have a chance and, you know, I can attribute that of course to my own, uh, insecurities and my own, you know, laziness and, you know, I can take responsibility for the things that I haven't fulfilled. I know that they're there and I, you know, I, I'm not trying to put blame on anyone else because I can also see friends who are my age who, you know, whether they had a leg up or not, they were able to get farther um, earlier. And so, you know, I can see that I can, com- I I compare myself. I think we all do compare ourselves to, to the other people in our lives that, you know, we're maybe a little bit jealous of or we're proud of. Uh, I especially have a couple of friends who have done tremendous things um, in film and in music that I just haven't been able to accomplish yet. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a generational thing. I, I do believe that millennials have a harder time um, maybe getting enough money in their respective fields or getting a job in their respective fields, especially considering um, that Millennials are, you know, in around 30 now, and there's this big pandemic um, amongst other things, you know, like amongst many, many other things, student loans and, um, trying to get everything together. But, um, that's a whole different podcast about economics and social injustices, but basically, you know, I can attribute some things to being a millennial, but I, you know, I also know people, like I said, and who are my age who have done really great things. So, um, A lot of people who work in film or music or entertainment can tell you that it does take a lot of hard work and perseverance, and it also takes a lot of luck. And I think that's exactly what might have just fallen into my lap for this um, potential new job that I mentioned to Mo on the Jumbo special two episodes ago. So let's see. I'm going to find out next week what might or might not happen with that, and then I'll, I'll let you know what goes on. Um, I did want to touch on last week's episode, uh, episode 28 with Miko. Um, You might, as a German, you might read it as Michael, but it is Miko. Um, And I think actually it's pronounced Mako, but that doesn't matter. The point is um, this was just one of the most um, rewarding um, conversations I've had with a musician in a very long time. And, um, you know, me and Mo were here at my house. We had a really comfortable setup with everything. Um, I just did want to touch on one thing. If, if you know, if you had shared that episode with someone who didn't know the show or if you know someone who wanted to check out the show and maybe just uh, listen to that one, um, I, I I made a small post about it. But I did just want to, you know, address it and say, you know, there were some uh, issues with the audio Um, during the interview part alone, um, the, the intro part where me and Mo just caught up and talked about some funny business, um, the audio should be perfect or so like as normal as it can be. And then, yeah, you know, we had some, some corruption in, in the file that we got from Miko and it's not really her fault. And, you know, we got things together, um, uh, in kind of a, a hasty way, you know, just how things are. Mo has a very busy schedule and I have a very different schedule from him. And, you know, we got Miko in when we did. And even though the interview was so great, I'm so thankful for her time and thankful for the work that Mo does um, because the show actually wouldn't exist without him. Um, we just had some issues with that. And I hope that it didn't um, push you guys away from from listening uh, in the future, but I doubt it. Cause if you're someone who listens to this show every week, then, you know, you've stayed through worse stuff. <laughs> you've stayed, you've stayed through some pretty crazy stuff if you've gotten this far with us. And, uh, I just wanted to say, sorry about that. Um, we're going to do everything we can in the future to prevent that sort of, um, edit from, from going through to, to full publish, um, to the public. So, um, Hopefully, it didn't bother you guys too much. It's not. It's not a huge issue. There's just a few phrases here and there where maybe my voice sounds kind of weird, or you you hear things doubled. Um, there are a couple of little gaps um, where things were missing, and that just you know sometimes just these these corruptive weird things happen in the process from edit to publish, and um, you know uh, there's no there's no really there's no anger about it. There's no, there's nothing to be upset about from, from our part, you know, like we understand that these things happen and, uh, just wanted to make a, a public, uh, address <laughs> about it to, to the listeners, you know, the handful of listeners who really enjoy the show and listen every week. Um, we know some people wrote in saying something sounded a bit strange, but hopefully um, you still were able to to get through the whole interview without it being too much of a bother. Because um, if you haven't, um, I really recommend that you please do because um, Miko was such an open and honest and interesting, creative, uh, kind, gentle person. And she she said some of the most interesting... She had really interesting perspectives as a newcomer to a different country, especially coming to Germany. You know, she's she was in the North, and I don't want to say too much. If you've heard the episode, you know already, and if you haven't, just go listen to it, because um, she was so interesting, and you should really check out her her music on uh, basically every streaming platform ever, iTunes and Spotify and and so on and so forth. And that's all I wanted to say about last week's episode. It was a small problem, so it's no big deal, and we're very sorry about that, and we're going to try to not do it anymore. That's exactly how I should have said it, and that's where I should have stopped, but I'm doing the episode alone today, so I'm rambling a little bit. So, um, the most important thing um, that I really wanted to touch on was, okay, so I've been trying to buy a bicycle to get around in Munich for I mean off and on for two and a half years I think it's it's crazy that I haven't done this yet this touches back into the procrastination thing too but you know the public transportation and stuff in Germany is so good and the summers here feel so short that you know when it comes time to actually get a bike and go where you want to go oftentimes I just maybe I don't even need it you know it's just it's very it's a very nice thing to have, and um, I do need to just do it. Um, but th- the problem was okay. So a couple, just just to give this short story to pe- people who might not know it. Um, I think two years ago, maybe even three now, somewhere in there, um, I had a bike, and I had bought it from a friend. And I was going on this long bike ride, and we were going to some beer garden outside the city, maybe like an hour bike there, and just just to hang out for the day. It was a beautiful, hot day. I think it was a Saturday or some day, some vacation day. And we biked to the top of this hill on this road, and then I stopped there to take some pictures with my phone of, you know, the landscape or whatever. There was like a funny... Um, design on the bridge. So I just stopped for a second and then efi uh, biked further down and was going uh, around this curve. And thankfully she stopped there on the curve to, to look back for me because what happened was I got back on the bike, was at the very top of a pretty steep hill. And then, you know, t- to to give yourself some momentum, usually you, you stand up on the bike and push with the pedal, you know, to give yourself a little extra oomph when you go. And so I stood up and I gave it a couple of really good pumps going downhill. And then the, the metal bar that connects from the frame to the handlebar. So the vertical pipe under the horizontal um, handlebar pipe um, shattered. I don't know. It snapped in half somehow. Uh, we, we, couldn't really figure out how that sort of happens. I mean, it was a bike that n- didn't show any sort of fragility with anybody that I had seen ride it. And I'm a big guy and it just, I'd had it for a few months or three months. So everything was, uh, or maybe even a month. I didn't even have it that long. This was the first time I really like took it out, took it out. But anyway, around the city and stuff, it seemed fine. And, uh, yeah, it just snapped. And I flew over the handlebar um, in front of the front tire, and I hit my chin, and I slid down the street, and my chin opened up, uh, and I blacked out. And I remember, I remember um, that when I opened my eyes, some time had passed—not too much, just a few seconds, maybe five or six seconds—and I remember hearing uh, Ify scream. Um, she was very afraid because I was knocked out on this downslope and at any moment a car could have just come speeding over the hill and they wouldn't have seen me. So of course she panics, uh, rightfully so, and, and runs up to the top of the hill and, and then gets me up and sets me over to the side on the sidewalk where there's some grass and she looks at my face and from, from my, like from the top row of my teeth down is numb And um, that really worries me because I worried that maybe I had knocked, you know, teeth out. And she gave me a tissue or or a handful of tissues from her bag and said, you know, just, just hold your, just hold your chin up like this. And I, I needed to uh, go to the hospital. So they, some, someone came by, some older couple saw us on the road and then they called an ambulance for us. And then an ambulance came, took me to the hospital and I had to get, um, I think it was five or six stitches in my chin and some bandages. And, um, I had to, you know, try and stay awake and not watch, not watch any screens or anything for, I think, 24 hours. Cause I had a concussion, but, um, in general, I turned out fine, obviously. And since that bike, I haven't gotten a new bike, and there was a time where I worried that maybe I was not getting this bike because I was scared of biking again. But then I, I thought maybe that's kind of dumb that maybe I'm just being difficult about it. So then I've 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 obviously ridden people's bikes since then. So that's not the issue. Um but that you know that summer came and went, and then there was like this long winter, because in Germany the winters they just they just stay around forever. And finally the next summer came around and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a bike. I'm going to get a bike. I'm going to get a bike. And then um, we traveled around a bit. So I didn't think about it too much. I think we maybe went to America and then I think we were in, oh no, we were in Portugal last year visiting some friends. Um, so I just didn't think about it too much. I think that's, I also missed that gap as well. And then I noticed when I was in Portugal that they had introduced electric scooters, and I thought, oh man, that'd be so great if they had that in Munich. And then by the time I came back around around that following winter time, uh, or even even the same few months, like September or something, Munich had brought in electric scooters. So now Munich has loads of electric scooters, and they're not even that expensive. So now. Now, of course, when I really want to go somewhere on a short distance, because I live right on this river that cuts through the center of the city, you know, instead of taking the, tr- the tram or the bus or an underground uh, train to uh, the location I want to go, if I just take the electric scooter along the path of the river, it usually cuts most of that travel time in half. I mean, for example, on um, most days, I take a bus to my job at this school, which is so dumb Because it takes me 36 minutes to get from my house to this school. And I know a lot of people who work really far away. I know a particular woman at this school who has to travel over an hour every day by train there and then over an hour on the way back. And it's insane. That's such a long commute. And I know that I'm I'm not complaining. You know, it's my choice to take this dumb bus. But what I should do is just get a bike and just go along the river because it would take me 14 minutes to get there. And I would enjoy the sunlight in the morning and the wind and, you know, seeing the people. And ah. so sometimes I want to do that. I want to go along the river. It's a nice morning and I feel energized. I want to just feel good. So then what I instead do is like, Oh, I didn't get a bike. I didn't go find a bike. So I guess I'll just take an electric scooter. So then I take the scooters along the river. I get there at the same time, maybe a little slower, and it's still this nice, rewarding experience. And it wasn't expensive at all. And, um, that's a, you know, it, it racks up if you do it enough, but I mean, it's like three euros or something for that distance. So it's nothing. And, uh, I, of course I got kind of hooked on that. I got kind of spoiled on the scooters and I still didn't buy a bicycle. So <laughs> now last week i Tried. I actually went on eBay and I went to I think five different places to try people's bikes out. I had to tell all of them no, either the bike um, was too short on me or too long on me, or oftentimes the bike is just too small. I need a really tall bike and uh, a wide bike because I'm a big old chubber and they just they're just too small, they just don't fit. So I actually was thinking about um. The bicycle culture here in Munich, probably most of Bavaria, but I can really only speak for Munich and boy, oh boy, Germans, for the Germans listening to this, or at least the one that I know for sure will listen to this, or the two um, guys, I really hate everyone in your city who rides a bicycle. <laughs> I hate them. I hate them so much. I don't know why, like, I I want to have a bicycle. I want to be a part of them. But at the same time, whenever I'm passing by them on the sidewalk or I'm taking this e-scooter, I hate them so much. Okay, for example, the the e-scooters tap out around 20 kilometers an hour. It's not that fast, but it's not that slow. And there are people who bike on the bike path slower than that. For me, that's... I can't even fathom that. Like they go so slow that I'm on this like rinky dinky scooter that's kind of like a kid's toy and I have to tap on and off and tap on and off and tap on and off of this the accelerator button. That way I don't like, I don't hit their back tire, but then also they're so, they're like right at this, you know, 19 kilometers an hour speed limit where like, I know that I'm faster than them, but I also know that it would take me like, I don't know, 60 seconds to go around them. It would take a long time to gain momentum to go around them. So they're just right at that speed that's just slow enough. It's kind of like when someone's walking behind you on a sidewalk and you're going to a store and they're just fast enough to kind of step exactly where you just stepped. You can kind of feel their bags swinging on their shoulder. You can feel their breath on your neck. They're just that, they're just that fast enough, but they don't pass you, you know? So, you know, in my case, then I just step over to the side and let them pass me because they don't think about it because they're insane. And then just let them go. But these bikers, they're just fast enough to stay right in my problem. And it makes me want to murder all of them. I don't get it who doesn't think about that? They don't see. uh, Okay. Anyway, so there's the slow, there's the slow bikers. And then on the opposite side of that, you've got these ridiculous looking like sport bikers who, who are, I I don't know if they're trying to emulate, you know, this, like it's not tour de France. Okay. You're not racing for a gold medal. You're not racing for like a hundred thousand euro prize, you know, to get from your office building to your apartment in okay? Why are you dressing like you're on the Tour de France? I don't get it. I don't understand why they have to wear these, you know, skin tight, like polyester shirts with like badges and state representation and like awards and stuff and like brand names and oil companies and like tire companies all over them and this like ridiculous hat that has like the bow that slides back and then these spandexy shorts, which shows their dick and their balls. Like, Ah, there's children around. Like, I don't want to see that. Ify told me that there was some guy who wore like skin tone biker shorts over by the river a couple of weeks ago. And she said it was see-through. She's like, I saw everything. Now I had to take her eyes out with a knife. That's what I had to do. She can't unsee that sort of thing. So just don't wear that sort of thing, you perv. I don't get that at all. Okay, if you if you want to go on like a five hundred kilometer or a thousand kilometer or a two thousand kilometer bike ride somewhere in the mountains, and you and your friends want to want to dress up together and match for the photos, and you want to wear your skin tight shirts with your brand companies and your spandex that shows your buddies how how you can compare your your ball sizes to each other, hey, that's great. Go for it. I'm happy for you. That's great. You found some friends. That's nice. Go for it. I'm happy for you. It's great. But you don't have to do it in the city that's like a five kilometer bike ride. It bothers me. So here I am. I'm stuck on the bike tr- uh, the bike path with someone going in front of me who is just slow enough for me to be planning how I'm going to shove them in front of traffic. And at the same time, on my left side, there's someone speeding by because if he doesn't cross the finish line in under two hours, he doesn't win a big trophy. So I really, really, really don't get that um, that trend or that sport or whatever it is. Like It's just, I'm on a bicycle or a scooter on a sidewalk. I just don't get it. And then there are the people who... Are also on e-scooters. And it's (laughs) it's so hypocritical because I'm I'm also on an e-scooter. Like I'm also taking one. But then I see someone coming down the road also on an e-scooter, and I think, oh, he's such a loser. I think, what a loser. I see these people passing me. And and sometimes they give me this nod with their head. They're kind of like, howdy, partner. We're on the same team. Both of us on the scooter train today. And I want to shove him into a tree because he's a loser. And sometimes I pass a window of a building and I see my own reflection. And then I have this existential crisis where it's like, oh man, I'm the loser. <laughs> but I think a lot of it has to do with wearing a helmet. I think if you're on an e-scooter and you're not, you know, blackout wasted, there's no reason to wear a helmet really. I mean, I've, that apparently accidents, you know, skyrocketed in Munich ever since they introduced these, um, these e-scooters. And I don't, I don't really understand how, because they're not fast enough. And the brakes are really sensitive. So you never have an issue with like, you know, softly rolling along or stopping kind of suddenly, you know, it's just, it's so easy to do. And hey, worst case scenario, put your foot down, you know, oops, that person's in the way, put your foot down and just stop. It's not that fast. So I think people just weren't used to it. They weren't, The, the Germans here just weren't used to, you know, not being in total control of the momentum of the wheels somehow, like you know, not being a part of the machinery moving them from A to B. I I, I don't get it. I don't get it how there could be so many accidents. But, um, you know, if you feel like you really need to wear a helmet, then uh, you're a loser, and that's just that's just that simple. So, you know, uh, if you're if you're uh, on a a big electric like motorbike, or you're on a motorcycle, or you know your um, Speedy Gonzalez, you know, going for the trophy on the two thousand kilometer speed trail. I mean, that just finishes the outfit that requires a helmet. But if you're just, um, you know, wearing a t shirt and a, a backpack, you know, full of snacks and uh, jean shorts with Birkenstocks, then I, I don't know. I don't think you need a helmet. That's 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 all I'm saying. That's. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Now, the other problem I have is, so Germans love rules. They have, they've, they've set so many strict rules into place about uh, everything, right? And when you move here um, from a country like America, you know, I can only speak from my own experience, but when I moved to a country like Germany from America, at first... You see how insanely strict the rules can be. And at first, you think everything's kind of a joke. You're like, are you serious? Do you mean that? Are you actually going to be? Are you going to do? Do you actually? Is that going to be? uh, Okay. And then after a couple of years, you get conditioned to it. And you start thinking more and more realistic about these rules. Okay. Okay. I'll abide. I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. I'll do the rules. Right? It's like it's kind of you know, you're kind of held hostage by by it and then, you know, after a while you're like, "Okay. I get it. You know, you you got to feed your family. The world treated you wrong. You got to you got to do what you got to do." Okay. I'll abide. Right? And then after a couple more years, you become one of them. And you become the person, or I did, became the person who, who respects the rules. Like, I, I, I of course think there's still too many. And if there was no rules, I wouldn't care. But the fact that there are rules, especially with biking and these bike lanes, then I am someone who's like, okay, okay. Now, I, I understand these rules, and I will live by that code until the day that I die. That's the way it should be. So, here, here's me on a casual day, right? Here's the rules. It's just like traffic, except for in the UK or in Australia, right? You're driving on the right side of the road, traffic coming towards you on the left side of the road. That's your bike lane. Standards and Practices. So the rules would be, you know, keep that formation, um, allow space when, uh, when someone wants to pass, you know, try and gauge your pass with enough time so that the oncoming traffic doesn't have to slow down because of your choice. Um, you know, don't just stand in the middle of a bike lane pretending or somehow, somehow just forgetting that you're in one. And, you know, that sort of thing can always be attributed to someone who's just not from Germany. And I I, I can't honestly be too um, upset about that unless they just look so, so German. And, uh, you know, the Germans listening to this, you know what the look is. You know what I mean. You can look at some people and be like, oh, that person's so German, you know. So these rules that you're following about the bikes are making sense now and you're, and you're abiding by them and you're supporting them. And then for some reason, the Germans, some of them, they, they spin that reality on its head and they start doing whatever they want on the bike lane. And it's shattering everything That you've just set up for years in your head. That this is the way it has to be. This is the way it should be. And now, they're just doing whatever they want. For example, now, there's no sensitivity or respect for other bikers. And couples will just bike down these single lane bike lanes... Side by side. And sometimes they won't even do one of those last minute formation changes where the person who's obviously in the way kind of last minute just slides into the partner's back tire a little bit, just kind of scooch over a little bit in that last little second. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Janet is such a bad friend. (laughs) They just don't, you know, they don't notice that they're doing it at all. Or they don't care. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anymore. I don't, I don't know anymore, but I don't like, I don't like that. I don't like this, this lack of respect for the other riders and you have two people side by side and they're biking towards you and you see them. And you know, that just leads me to another thing, which is the, the clinging, the clinkle, clinkle bells on the bike handle. You know, when I first saw that, I thought, well, that's a really, um, You know, a heartless, like robotic way of telling someone like, Hey, sorry, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of in the way. And you know, now I'm used to it. Now I'm now I'm a slave to it, just like everyone else. It's on the e-scooters too. You're biking, you're going down the bike lane, and there's someone standing in the way, or there's a bike kind of, you know, easing into the bike lane without really seeing how fast everyone's going. And you just slide your thumb over that little bell and ding. Or, you know, you have like a crank one. So it's like. And then that's just, you know, a way like this universal way of them being like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. sorry, 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 sorry. (sighs) It's just so, so impersonal, this, this bell. But when I see the people biking side by side with their friend, you better believe I'm clink, 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 clink away. Okay. I sound like Santa Claus jingling, jingling bells all the way down the chimney. It's all I can think to do. It's all I got. You know, it's the only weapon that they've given me. And, you know, I'm just saying, Germany, if you want to set up so many rules that you can carve and manipulate and kill the spirit of this lively American boy, at least abide by them. You know? Don't just stop in the middle of a road to turn left i saw you i saw you just do what everyone else does and go across the street pull over to the right let the masses pass ya and then go left don't just stop in the road don't sit by your friend side by side on a single lane bike path you monster This is not only your life. I think this is, I mean, this is how, this is how, you know, this is how people die because of that bullshit. So speaking of being on the road, are you still with me? You still here? Okay. (laughs) Driver's licenses. I am uh, getting a driver's license hopefully this year. Um, that's the plan. I, so we got this automatic car now. And, um, I was researching if I needed to take a German driver's test, um, with a stick shift, which would have been just an entirely other issue. If I was going to have to, you know, go with someone like with my dad as a kid and like go to some field and learn how to drive all over again. And I just, I really didn't want to do that. And, um, thankfully we, due to some strange and kind of unpredictable circumstances, we ended up with an automatic car. Now this small little cool little car and, uh, I've driven it a little bit. I'm not supposed to, but, uh, I'm a rebel and I don't care. And I drove it a little bit and it's great. It has a good, uh, you know, I have a good command on it and it's really it man- maneuvers well. And other, other car lingo. And it's quiet it has a nice uh, it has a nice little hum to it. It purrs really nice. You know, it's got a nice little engine on it. So uh, everything's going to be totally fine with that car. And I found a place in at Munich that will let me do it with an automatic car. And it's funny in America, you can use your own car, or you can like use your mom's car. You can show up with them and like do the driver's test, and then you can you know your mom waits there for you. Then you can drive home. The both of you, and we had driving in high school, actually. So I was driving already at 15 or something. Probably wasn't supposed to do too much, but I was driving at 16, at least with a permit for sure. Or maybe 15 is the permit and 16 is the license. I know that my mom's going to hear this and she's going to send me a text about it. So maybe you can remind me about that, mom. But uh, yeah, Uh, you know, it's really easy in America. You just show up and you have a test. You take it in high school. Like you learn about it in high school. You drive a lot already. And then you just show up and you do, uh, you know, you drive around the block a few times and you take a test that says like, yeah, stop sign, yield sign, turn left, turn right, blinker right, blinker left, whatever. What do you do in this situation? You stop. Usually you just stop. And now I found out in Germany, I found a place where I can take the test in English. So if you're an English speaker and you're curious about getting a driver's license in Munich, feel free to send me an email um i can give you the name of the place i don't want to blast it on here just yet because i want to take the test first with them and see what my real feeling is about it i don't want to give them you know good reviews or something or positive anything yet i don't really know them yet i haven't even been there yet i just researched it and, and i spoke to i spoke to the people uh via email over, like the over the last week back and forth and now i'm going to be able to take the test with an automatic car and I'm going to be able to do it in English, which is really important to me. And, uh, I don't have to do too much of the practical stuff. I think I just have to, you know, learn the theory, learn the road signs, refresh your course, whatever, drive around at night in Munich and stuff and drive around course a lot in the day. So many hours of it. And then, uh, and then, yeah, you know, boom, then I got a license and I can be an American all over again that's it's funny taking a car away from an American so it's like taking um I don't know it's like taking milk from a baby or something it's just like it's like no 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 no, I need it I need it I need it um but um yeah, oh, you know I was thinking too I wanted to mention this I had a buddy who told me that uh he was like i don't wanna I don't wanna name him because I like him. He's my friend. But I think he gave me bad advice. He was like, he's like, you know, I think you should take the, the driver's license test in German. I think it would be a good immersion process for you. And I thought that was the dumbest, oh, the dumbest idea I have ever heard. What kind of person wants to be in a high-pressure situation like like a driving test? I mean, it's, you know, it's not like a big, huge deal in America to do it, but you're still nervous. You're still like driving another stranger around in a car, and you hope that everything that you do, like, okay, stop here, go left, go right, go fast, go slow, merge here, hit the highway, go back, get off the highway, park here, parallel park. You know, you want all that stuff to go smooth, and so you don't want to have anything else on your mind. You want to be in the moment, in the zone, totally clear. And for someone to suggest that me, who is like famously an idiot with this language, you know, like it's so hard. And for them to recommend that I take my driving lesson in German with, you know, German directions and and German advice and German criticism and German comments is the dumbest thing I could have ever imagined doing because it's a high-pressure situation, but that just makes it more difficult. That makes it more nerve wracking. But, you know, maybe he's just trying to help. But um, and I'm not even like, I'm not even dumping on German. I mean, I moved here. It's, it's a totally fine language. I just need to spend more time learning it before I take a driving lesson in this other language. I mean, is he insane? I don't get it. I would never do that. I was immediately like, mm, oh, pff, no. And I found a place that I can do it in English. And you know, he was, I don't know. I mean, the thing is he's a good friend and he probably just wants me to be like, you know what? I think I'll just spend more time learning German and then I can take my driver's test. And then I got two birds with one stone. And it's like, look, I'm taking my German lessons and I am not doing great at them, even though I'm trying. And, um, you know, after the school job, ends, I have more time to do like full day lessons and I can sign up for another course of the, you know, right now they're doing a lot of things over zoom. So, you know, like I'm trying, it's, I'm, I'm very weak with language and it's a big problem for me. It's a very weak point for me. It's, uh, like, it's probably the big driving force as to like why I haven't like built a huge friendship community here and why I haven't like really flourished as much here as I probably, um, would have continued to do back in America, because, you know, you can even hear it on here, like, I have a lot to say, and in German, I sound like an idiot, so I don't say anything. And to try and do a driving test in that mindset of insecurity is not going to happen. And that actually brings me back around to the school job. Let me just take a little little sip here. Yeah, so this is the last week of this hopefully final day job that I would have had in this, you know, 15-year-long career spanning attempt to support the things I like doing. And you know, I had a lot of uh I had a lot of thoughts about that um over the last couple of days. You know, I'm I'm also someone who tends to not really spend the time to think about things changing like that until it's the last available moment sometimes. And yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday. You're going to get this on Thursday or Friday even. And that'll be it. You know, and I have to say, this was the first, this was the very first day job that I ever that I ever had that didn't make me want to blow my brains out to be honest with you. I mean, there was a couple of cafes that were fine. You know, there was one or two that I of course had fun at and they were safe and they were, you know, easy and stuff and had some good friends to work with. And you know, it's all different. It's all different here than it was in America too. Like of course in America, when you're in college, you know, any sort of day job is still pretty fun you know, you can get away with a lot more stuff than you can here. But, uh, this was the first day job that, uh, let me put it this way. This was the first day job I had that wasn't in gastronomy except for one other job in this furniture store. But that was a really fun job. Um, that was a very character building job, but this was, you know, this was with, I didn't really know how I was going to be working with kids. Um, I worked in this, uh, I've talked about it a lot, so I'm not going to divulge too much again, but you know, just in case this is anyone's first episode. Uh, oh, by the way, if this is your first episode in your German, I deeply apologize for that rant. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's how I feel, but I feel like I'm sorry that you are exposed to me at my, at like alone at, at like a level 10 and not an earlier episode where, you know, I'm a bit more dialed back and, and letting someone else do the talking. Um, this is, um... The first job where I worked with kids and it was in a, you know, a proper building with adults with an off like with offices and khaki pants and button down shirts and brown shoes and um, ill fitting glasses and brushed hair. And, you know, it was just like an adult world. And all of a sudden, all these office jokes and like stiff adult situational humor things that you see on sitcoms or on the internet it all just started to make sense you know it all started to to come together um and you know there were moments where i felt kind of dull there and a couple of moments where i thought man this job is you know taking up a large chunk of my day and i'm really kind of struggling with getting as much done for music as I would want. Of course, that's how I felt about all of those jobs. Um, but, but, a big but, and I cannot lie, there were definitely more good days than bad days, excluding since Corona, to be fair. You know, some of these kids are so crazy sweet and so loving and so open and so funny and so mature at the same time, like silly in all the right ways. Um, You know, you're not going to, you're not going to like every kid and you're not going to love every kid, but there's so many right there in that sweet spot that are so adorable and so nice. And they just, you know, I think I hadn't been surrounded by that much innocence ever. <laughs> yeah, ever. So it was so it was so fulfilling some days to go from, from classroom to classroom. You know, I was like this luxury position for them. I was like extra help. So I would go around to all the different teachers, you know, in one week I would work with everyone at least once and, you know, escort the kids on the, on the bus to, you know, field trips or to the sport hall or to the swimming pool and you know, I, I built like relationships with them and I built relationships with the other teachers and the the TAs and the administration and stuff. And I ended up helping everybody a little bit and that was, you know, good and bad, you know, things I like more doing than, than other things. But, you know, the kids, they're just so fun. They're just so cool. And I, one of my favorite memories of the whole thing was last year, last uh, July, I want to say something like that. One of the last days, um, that we were still going to the pool before they, before we stopped doing that before the semester ended, um, you know, I went with the sports coach with, uh, I think a year two class, maybe a year three class. No, it was a, yeah, it doesn't matter a year two class. And we, um, me and the sports coach, we we brought our swimming gear and we jumped in the pool with them and we were just throwing these kids around, like just swinging them in the air, you know, splashing, making all this noise and the kids loved it. They went crazy for it. You know, they were like exploding with joy, just like laughing and like the, their faces were all red and they were just like crying and screaming and it was so much fun. That's probably one of my favorite memories of that job and you know we also at the end of last year we took uh all of the year 4 kids because it's their last you know their big last hurrah before they go through puberty and get into high school and you know high school sucks high school is the worst i mean you have some best friends and you have you learn a lot and you grow a lot but it's painful high school's man i'm sorry mom but high school's fucking painful and i really 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 um can empathize a lot with these innocent, you know, bright eyed kids going into that world. And we took the year four kids to, um, like, a basically a vacation. We took them all to this huge, uh, student boarding cabin thing, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And we, we played so many games with them. We had like water, you know, like water gun fights and we barbecued and we had like s'mores and we, played songs to them for them, and they, um, you know, they watched, like, cool kind of, like, teen drama movies, and they all slept in, like, a, you know, these shared rooms together with their best friends, and we had, like, common rooms, and it was just, like, it's also a good chance for me to connect with some of my, um, some of the staff in year four that I didn't know so well, and, like, I've made good friends with them now, and it's just, like, a really a really cool getaway and even the first like the first 2 days I was there the first full day for sure that I was there I think the first 2 days I had forgotten my phone on the on the bus or back at the school or something so I didn't have any communication at all I had to borrow someone's phone once to to write EFI that everything was fine but it was such a nice like I was so in the zone I didn't have anything to look at nothing to check I had no sense of time was completely in the zone. And that was just so, it was so much fun. It was so much fun and it was so sweet. And, you know, I'm going to miss these kids a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to hate kind of that. I can't see them get older. I really want to visit them, you know, once or twice next year and see them, um, you know, flourishing a little bit when they, um, you know, that last year before they before they cross over again, and um you know the year the year three group i wanna see I wanna see them next year a little bit, and um, yeah, they're just you know good people and good kids, and you know they found out that I was gonna leave after this year, and it was kind of hard to explain to them why you know some of them are very smart, and some of them I could really just talk to like they are even you know like a young adult, some of them and um. They kind of held a, not an intervention, but like this big conference for me in one of the classrooms. They were like, Mr. Prince, come in here right now and tell us why you're not going to be here next year. And, you know, I didn't want them to find out at all. I wanted to just, I wanted them to just go unhappy and maybe even kind of forget about me a little bit and then just find out, you know, next year when I'm already gone. And then they would already be in a new classroom with new students and new teachers and they'd have so much going on that they wouldn't be able to spend much time thinking about it. But someone found out, so, the, of course, in, in schools, you know, if one kid find, finds out, they all find out. It's the same thing when they found out that I play music. It was like one day, one person heard one thing on YouTube, and it was like, like this huge brush fire. And then now I have all the kids knew, um, which is totally fine, which is sweet, actually. Um, but they found out that I wasn't going to be there, and then they called me in this classroom, and then I had to find a way to explain to them, you know, like, there's no... There's no ill feelings here. There's no problems here. You know, like the staff is doing what they got to do. And I've got this really nice opportunity coming for me anyway. So I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, what I'm going to do now. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not sad anymore. And I don't want you guys to be sad or scared or upset about anything. I don't want you to be mad at anybody. I don't want you to you know, I don't want you to overthink it at all. It's just, this is the adult world and people move on to other things. And it's just how these kinds of businesses work. And, you know, some of them took it and they were like, you know what? All right. You know, it's good that you have something else. And, um, you know, we believe in you, we want you to visit. And it was really sweet. And, you know, a couple of the other kids, um, cried, which was like so sweet to me to see that. And, you know, it kind of, it just meant a lot to me to actually see that kind of emotion just because I was leaving and I was like, Oh, I was, I was one of those teachers. Like I was one of those adults in their lives that they really, really liked. And, um, that, that means everything to me because there's definitely a couple of people from my school that I'll never forget the impression they made on me because either they were, you know, really firm, strict people, but said really Crazy motivational things that, that, you know, encouraged me a lot and like stuck with me. Or they were, you know, really, really sympathetic people that could talk to me. You know, like, um, I don't want to go through everyone I ever, um, liked in high school, but, you know, one in particular was this woman, Miss Jones, my Spanish teacher in high school. And, you know, I was friends with her daughter. And, um, yeah, Miss Jones was, someone that she had that effect on me. I think if I was in high school, especially junior and senior year and she, and she left, I think I would be really upset by it. I think it would have really hurt me because she was one of those teachers that would, you know, she would pull me in the hallway and like, just talk to me like an actual adult. She, she wouldn't talk down to me. She wouldn't talk. Um, she wouldn't talk to me like she, you know, she, she's much wiser and much smarter and much more calm But she wouldn't talk to me as if she knew that. She would talk to me as if she knew me. And that's something that with a lot of these kids, I could also do. I felt like I could do that. And it wasn't really something I had to think too much about. Either they came off with this vibe and I could immediately connect with it. And that's what I tried to do. Or others didn't have that vibe and I tried to adapt to what they needed. So that meant maybe like less of a relationship. And that's okay. They had that with other people. Um... But I'm glad that I made some friends with the staff there. And I'm glad that I made an impression on some of these kids. And um, probably there's things I, you know, could have done better. I think that's with any job. Um, But I'm proud to have been a short part of these kids' lives. And um, this is the last week. And then we'll see. We'll see where we go from there. Um, I think I'm going to stop there guys. I just want to say, um, we had a really silly time today for most of this and then it got kind of sentimental at the end. So, um, I want to say thank you for sticking through it. And I know that we didn't have Mo today, but Mo is editing this and, uh, I want to say hi, thank you for your work. And, um, yeah, thanks for sticking through this today. Hope you had fun. Hope you had a few laughs and, uh, Let's see where everything goes next week. Hopefully we can uh, maybe get another guest on. And uh, if not, then at least Mo and I will be back together. We just had some scheduling conflicts this week. So I want to say if you enjoyed this episode, uh, first, thank you so much for listening. And um, please go to uh, wherever you listen to this podcast, if it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or you know, Deezer or Podigy, wherever you listen, please give us um, a like or a review or a rating or a comment or just, you know, share it online or even just tell a friend. Uh, next time you see your best friend, tell them, hey, I heard this funny podcast called Artsy Fartsy Immigrants, where this ridiculous American and this uh, sexy German boy talk to people who live in different countries and they try to make a living in that foreign country and it's difficult for them. And it's also sometimes heartbreaking and sometimes it's also funny. And we just want to connect with other people like those who listen to this show. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, God bless you. Have a beautiful day, guys. See you next week. Look at baby. The saints are coming through. and it's all over. Farsi Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Bartscheider, produziert für M945.